Um, and my name is Shay, by the way. I think I, I know most of you by now. I've been here a few times. I live in Mount Pleasant, about an hour south from here. Uh, I have eight kids. I do a bunch of different things. Um, I'm a volunteer priest at my church, but I also run some other family businesses. That's just a little bit about me. I came to know Jesus when I was in high school, um, and so it's been a wonderful journey since, and uh, my life was forever changed. But I'm not going to share that whole story today, though I would love to. Um, the reading that we are going to read today, I, I, I did want to preach on a familiar passage that's familiar um, to most of you, I, I would think. And it's, it's the burning bush episode in Exodus 3. So I'm going to read just the first 14 verses of Exodus 3. And I'm going to talk about it and hopefully shed some new light on it. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. I said all those names right except Egyptians. How about that? <laughs> come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you, that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. The word of the Lord. I just realized that I left a book back here that I need. <clears throat> Actually, I think the last time I preached here, I, 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 I drew from the Chronicles of Narnia as an illustration. So this is from a different story in the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, figured I'd keep that theme going. Um, so this scene that we just read, it's the famous burning bush scene that's probably in your heads as the old Charlton, Charlton Heston 
movie and you have that kind of scene, or maybe you've seen it in a children's Bible illustrated and it's this bush on fire. It's usually like this small bush and it's really pathetic. I want to talk about that and, and sort of expand our imaginations out and, and, and maybe something in the text might reveal something new and, um, and worthy of considering. So when we carefully read it and reimagine what's going on, we're going to see what's happening here. This burning bush, or that appears that it's burning, it's a part of a slow, gradual revelation of who God is in Scripture. It's just one part in the, in the big story of Scripture. But here, God's telling his people something about himself, and it's still kind of mysterious at this point. Um, and where we'll end up is we do see his character fully revealed in Jesus. This is just one stop along the way. So I'm going to offer you this quick little scene from Narnia to help us track along with, with actually what this burning bush scene is doing for us in the story of Scripture. This is from The Horse and His Boy. I think it's the third book in the Chronicles of Narnia. It's one of my favorite books. It's also many people's least favorite. I don't know why. But I recommend reading it. Um, C.S. Lewis is excellent, and, and, and he has a wonderful imagination, and, and it's baptized in Scripture, his imagination. And, and so it's very useful. So in this book, there's this boy named Shasta. He was an orphan. He was adopted by this cruel father. And one day, he gets an opportunity to run away, and he does. And he goes on this epic adventure. He's on horseback most of the time. And Along the journey, he encounters a series of cats, some small cats, some big cats. And in this one encounter, Shasta is on horseback, and there's a lion in pursuit. And the lion roars loudly at him and his friend, and he even gets so close that he tears at the back of Shasta's friend with his claws. Now, anyone reading this story would if you've already read the first two books of the series, you might start to recognize, oh, I bet this is Aslan. Aslan is the big cat, the lion, who's kind of the creator, all-loving, all-powerful figure of Narnia. And you, might, you might have a guess at who it is. Um, and your suspicions would be correct. There, there is a big reveal scene on a foggy trail that, that, that we're going to read part of right now. And uh, here's how it plays out. So Shasta's on this road. It's, it's so foggy that he can't even see who's talking next to him. There's some creature talking to him. And here, here's how it goes. Shasta says, Don't you think it was bad luck to meet so many lions? There was only one lion, said the voice. What on earth do you mean? I've just told you there were at least two the first night. And... There was only one, but he was swift of foot. How do you know? I was the lion. And as Shasta gaped with open mouth and said nothing, the voice continued. I was the lion who forced you to join with Erebus. I was the cat who comforted you among the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from you while you slept. I was the lion who gave the horses the new strength of fear for the last mile so that you should reach King Loon in time. And I was the lion that you do not remember who pushed the boat in which you lay, a child near death, so that it might 
so that it came to shore where a man sat, wakeful at midnight, to receive you. Then it was you who wounded Erebus? It was I. But what for? Child, said the voice. I'm telling you your story, not hers. I tell no one any story but his own. Who are you? asked Shasta. Myself, said the voice, very deep and low, so that the earth shook. And again, myself, loud and clear and gay. And then the third time, myself, whispered so softly you could hardly hear it. So I want to tell you that the burning bush scene is kind of like one of these earlier encounters with the lion where he didn't quite fully know who the lion was or what he was like. Uh, the burning bush is not the full revelation of God. There's still more story in Scripture to unfold. The full revelation of Yahweh comes later in the Bible, and, and we'll get there. But for now, let's freshly reimagine this scene. I want to look at it with new eyes, paying close attention to how it's described. And we're also going to flip back a few pages in Scripture to look at some other scenes, too. So, imagine the burning bush in your mind right now. Just get the movies out of your mind. What the text says, it says, The angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh, the messenger of Yahweh, appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. So, this angel, this messenger of Yahweh, appears in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Now, what if I told you that it was not exactly a talking bush, which is how it's typically portrayed, but that perhaps a man-like figure, referred to in the text as the angel of Yahweh, was actually standing in what seemed to be fire in the midst of the bush. So it changes the visual a bit, doesn't it? You see, the angel of the Lord, that term, whenever he appears in Scripture, He's actually always in the form of a man. He at least looks like one, and I'll show you a few. It's clear that whenever he appears, he's functioning as Yahweh, as God himself. And this scene seems to be showing us the embodied Yahweh, cloaked by and standing in the midst of a burning bush, talking to Moses. And when I first heard this, it made me kind of raise my eyebrow because we usually don't think of God in the form of a man until you get to Jesus. But if we go back and reread that scene, it, it makes sense the way it reads. The angel of Yahweh appeared in the flame of fire. It doesn't say as a flame of fire. Those are two completely different Hebrew words. Now, if you think it's a crazy idea, we're going to look at a few places leading up to this. So in Genesis, which comes before Exodus, Prior to this scene, because if we want to recognize the lion for who he is, we need to read the first two books, right? So here's four other times where Yahweh appears. I wish I could dive deeper into these, um, but I would encourage you to sit down this week by yourself with a warm drink or, or with somebody and just ponder these scenes. Here they are. In Genesis 3, this is right after creation, Adam and Eve heard the sound of Yahweh walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They heard him walking. Now we tend to blow past this, but it doesn't say that, oh, they sensed God's presence around them or something like that. No, they heard him walking, and in order to hear somebody walking, 
There have to be footsteps created by feet and legs. Next scene, Genesis 16. The angel of Yahweh, the angel of the Lord, finds Hagar. This is Sarah's servant. By a spring of water. And he just starts talking to her. She's not shocked. She's not looking around questioning who's talking to her. Uh, She doesn't question what kind of creature it is or where the voice is coming from. Yahweh just shows up seemingly in the form of a man. He tells her, you're going to bear, bear a son. He comforts her. He has this conversation with her. And you're going to have many descendants. And here's her response. She says, surely I have seen he who looks after me. It's apparent that Yahweh was in human form there. Two chapters later, Genesis 18. Yahweh appears, this is a really cool scene, definitely should read this one. Genesis 18, Yahweh appears at Abraham's tent in a human's form with two other man-like messengers. And this time the text specifically says that Abraham saw three men and one of them is clearly functioning as Yahweh himself. And they eat together, they sit together, they talk together. Finally, in Genesis 32, this is one you may know. It's a better known scene where Jacob wrestled with a man all night long. And the man tells him, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, because you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob renamed the place, saying, for I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been delivered. Clearly, he wrestled somebody in the form of a man who says he was God. This is not by any means an exhaustive list, but these are just four examples prior to the burning bush where we see God in a human form walking, talking, eating, and wrestling with his people. Now, if you still think this is a crazy idea, I don't blame you, but listen to this. This is a quote from a Jewish scholar. Now, this guy doesn't even believe in Jesus, um, but that's why part of the reason why I want to share it with you, because you don't even have to believe in the incarnation of God to plainly see in the text that God appears to have a body in the Old Testament. Here's what he says. The God of the Hebrew Bible has a body. This must be stated at the outset, because so many people, including many scholars, assume otherwise. The evidence for this is simply overwhelming. God's body, at least at times, has the same shape and same sort of substance as a human body. Now, what's the point in bringing all this up? Well, it matters because more so today than ever, we tend to separate the God of the Old Testament from the God of the New Testament. And there's a tendency to view the character of God as different in in each part of the Bible, which isn't the case. People see the God of the Old Testament as powerful and scary very often. And the God of the New Testament, when he comes as Jesus, you say, oh, what a gentle, loving, and forgiving man. So unlike the other God of the Old Testament. Not true. How we envision this scene matters because it does help us see the consistent way in which God reveals himself to his people in one big story. He is powerful. He is scary. He is gentle. He is loving. And he is forgiving. He's all those things. And the burning bush scene is just one of many 
in which God reveals his character for his people. So when the angel of Yahweh stands cloaked in the burning bush and says to Moses, tell them I am who I am, or maybe even better translated, I am whoever I will be. What he's saying is, y'all just wait and see. Everything I'm about to do, everything I'm about to show to y'all is going to reveal exactly who I am. And and if you keep reading in Exodus, you're going to see all the mighty and wonderful deeds of Yahweh that he does for his people. But Yahweh's words from the midst of the burning bush, they kind of travel like a golden thread through scripture and they meet us right here today. And this is kind of where I want to land. When we get to the New Testament, we, we shouldn't be surprised when we see Yahweh appear in the form of a man as Jesus in the Gospels. And we see him do the things that he does. If, if we had read the story, that, that all of Scripture, carefully enough, and, and we have the Old Testament deep in our bones, we should recognize the lion immediately. It's, it's, it's like a fireworks show of echoes of Yahweh's deeds, one after another when we get to Jesus. Um, here's a few of the things we see. Instead of comforting Hagar by a sw- spring, we see Jesus comfort a woman by a well, and he tells her that he is the fountain of water in dry places. Instead of appearing to Moses on a mountain, we see him sit down on a mountain at the Sermon on the Mount and teach with his own authority, teaching his people. Instead of splitting the Red Sea with his power, we see Jesus' power over the sea multiple times as he calms the storm, he walks across the sea, and he even miraculously gathers fish. Instead of giving the people manna from heaven like he does in Exodus, we see him miraculously feed thousands of people with bread and fish. At one point, Jesus says, I haven't come to bring peace, but a sword. That doesn't sound so gentle, does it? Then we immediately see Jesus wage war against a Pharaoh figure, another serpent-like prince, who has an army as we see Jesus cast a legion of demons into the sea very much like he did to Pharaoh and his army. Instead of calling Moses from a burning bush, saying, Israel belongs to me, go now and set them free, he calls us from the cross and he says, you are free now because you belong to me. So let me read to you how that scene with Shasta ends with Aslan revealing himself. Gosh, I love this story. He turned and saw, pacing beside him, taller than the horse, a lion. The horse did not seem to be afraid of it or else it could not see it. It was from the lion that the light came. No one ever saw anything more terrible or beautiful. After one glance at the lion's face, he slipped out of the saddle and fell at his feet. He couldn't say anything, but then he didn't want to say anything, and he knew he needn't say anything. I think the point is, when we slip out of our saddle and fall at the feet of Jesus, when we see the King of Kings hanging on the cross, and we hear him say, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do, that's where God's character is fully revealed. That's where 
hits us. That's where it meets us. That's where the golden thread of I am who I am comes to an explosive end. And it binds our broken hearts, it gives us hope, and it sets us free. And it sets us free to live for our saving king. There are times in our lives when we hear God roaring. May we feel him scratching, clawing at us, and we know for certain that it's him. But there are times when we aren't sure that it's him. But he wants us to respond in some way. I think what I want to tell you is that he is on the move right now in our lives, in my life, in your life. Whether you recognize it or not, that's the thing, is a lot of the time we don't recognize it, but I think we can trust that he is on the move. As you reflect on your own life, past and present, how is he revealing himself to you? If you had to sit and ponder that, how is he revealing himself to you now? Right now, there might be some kind of unexpected joy, unexpected provision, or maybe an unexpected pain that you're experiencing. Maybe it's a pain that God's somehow mysteriously weaving into good. So where have you heard him roar? Where have you felt his claws? How is he clawing at you now? And most important, as you see God revealed in Jesus on the cross, the question becomes, can you entrust your life to him? And as baptized believers, in just a few minutes, we're going to answer that question with a resounding yes, we can, as we come to eat with him.